It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. Earlier today, my friend emailed me a link to a protest of sorts related to the United States Postal Service. And apparently, the USPS is planning to replace in its entire uh, delivery fleet with thousands of gas-powered delivery vehicles over the next decade. And according to some sources, 16 states have sued the Postal Service over these plans because the environmental analysis to justify spending $11 billion on these gas trucks, which are only getting 8.6 miles per gallon, is deeply flawed. Some of these... um, Pieces that I'm reading are coming from an article on CNBC.com. You can look this up. You can see exactly what's going on. But it's pretty alarming. I had no idea this was going on. I'm reading an article that came out just a few days ago. But apparently, this has been going on for quite some time. In fact, one of the articles is from February of this year, in which the Postal Service was finalizing these plans. And it's it's upsetting. So I want to talk a little bit about that, bring more awareness and think about the impact that something as simple as our mail can have on the environment. And it reminds me of a couple things. One is a few months ago, maybe it was late 2021, I got this book sent to me from my friend Brian Patton, who I... I think knows the author. It's called Can I Recycle This? A Guide to Better Recycling and How to Reduce Single-Use Plastics by Jenny Romer. And it's a beautifully illustrated book. It's really nice to look at, actually, which I think is important because some of this can feel so upsetting, daunting, frustrating, something that you might want to avoid, myself included, despite all the work that I've done to spread the word about environmentally friendly things. I've actually spent less time on that recently. And every time I start to talk about this, I feel my passion come back up and want to get more involved. I really like this book because it simplifies a lot of questions around recycling, but it also pointed out to me how many things I was trying to recycle, which is wish cycling, and actually finding out they can't be recycled, which to my current knowledge, I haven't read this book cover to cover, but from what I understand, that's actually creating more harm than good. And it's putting me in a state of not taking full responsibility. For example, if I buy something and I think to myself, oh, I'll just put this in the recycling bin, when really I'm adding more work to the people that are sorting through things or maybe causing issues with the machines when they're trying to recycle things. I mean, our recycling system is kind of a mess, but this book does give me some hope. So I will link to this book along with anything else I reference today at wellevator.com. That's W E L L. E-V-A-T-R.com. 
the show notes for this episode, like every episode of the show has a full transcript and links to every single resource to make it easy for you to learn more. And the third thing I want to bring up along this subject matter is the research I've done recently about cryptocurrencies impact on the environment. A few weeks ago, I did an episode on cryptocurrency. I talked about how I've become really interested in it. I've been looking at it from financial benefits to global benefits to all the different things that cryptocurrency can do. Certainly, there are pros and cons to that. And I wanted to understand it. Well, when I started digging into the environmental research, I felt a lot of alarms coming up within me. And I still have work to do. I'm actually researching for an article, a podcast episode on my show, Web3 with Whitney. And a something else, I'm sure. I and probably some TikTok videos because I feel like this is something really important. And it's been addressed a ton. I found lots of articles. I read through many sources to better understand it. But I found myself thinking, wow, how did I go this long without realizing all of this? And that's exactly why I brought up the recycling book and the issue with the USPS is that I think many, if not most people are aware that a lot of the things that we do, a lot of the decisions that we make have environmental downsides. And I think most people are aware that we're not in great shape with the environment, but it's easy to become... It's easy to turn a blind eye. It's easy to look the other way, even for me. And this is part of the reason I wanted to talk about this today is because I think that there's this balance between the pressure we feel as individuals to do a lot and the frustration that comes along with that of feeling like, wow, maybe we're doing so much and it feels like we're still doomed. Or maybe we're so overwhelmed, the best we can do is wish cycle. Maybe the that we feel burnt out by all this environmental news and it seems like nothing we're doing is making a difference anyway. So why even bother trying? I have gone through all different versions of that. I've also, of course, swung in the other direction, especially early on in my online content career where I was trying to do everything I could all the time and couldn't understand why other people weren't doing it. So let's dive into some of this stuff. I want to actually begin with one other article that I've been meaning to talk about on the show for quite some time. This came out in September 2021. And it's from businessinsider.com. The title is The Companies Polluting the Planet Have Spent Millions to Make You Think Carpooling and Recycling Will Save Us. Talk about depressing. When you look at this article, if you do, (laughs) there is a very unpleasant graphic of like an oil slick who looks very evil and holding up signs that like, hey, try all these things basically is conveying like the evil hidden behind all of these actions that we're encouraged to do to save the planet. And (laughs) it reminds me, maybe this was intentional, but there was this movie, an animated movie called Fern Gully. Have you seen that? If you haven't, look it up. I loved that movie when I was little. And it had this big environmental message. And there's actually like an oil character, a character made from oil. The concept of the movie, it's, 
is like I think these fairies, if I remember correctly, that live in Fern Gully. I think Fern Gully is the location. And this like big oil slick comes in from these guys doing construction. Maybe they're trying to extract the oil. Anyways, there's a character who's the oil and he's like slithering around and singing creepy songs. And it did, it did have a big impact on me because it scared me and it helped me as a kid understand what was going on. Right. But as a kid, you often feel so helpless. And so (laughs) it's triggering this old memory. And uh, this article talks about how plastic companies are spending tons of money to kickstart recycling programs, and it's helping them avoid bans. So essentially, they can continue making money by selling you plastic products by convincing you that, oh, you recycle it and it's fine. Decades later, fossil fuel interests spend millions to promote carpooling and reducing energy use. While activists and researchers say that this individual action narrative distracts from the biggest polluters. And this is a message that I've heard a lot in the past six months to a year, which is that many of us have been raised and trained, educated around all of these things we should do, right? Like we hear things about recycling. For example, I grew up thinking a lot about recycling. We had a recycling bin in our home. So anytime you drank like a can of soda, you would put it in the recycling bin. Any bottle would go in there. And then as I got older, I started thinking about paper. I loved printing on double sides of a piece of paper for school so that I could save a paper. I would also take papers that um, had already been printed and print on the opposite side. I had like all those tactics in, in college too. And people always thought I was weird for doing that. But I was just thinking a lot about that. And of course, my career evolved into starting Eco Vegan Gal, where it was centered around helping other people understand these things. Sometimes I feel guilty for not continuing that activism. But I think I just got burnt out and started to prioritize mental well-being, which is the theme of this show, because of all the things I described earlier, like there are not just environmental consequences, there are also emotional and mental consequences. And I think we actually need to prioritize that because given the state of things, it's possible that things are going in such a bad direction that we might not be able to reverse much of it, frankly. I don't know if that's the case. And I'm not trying to instill any sense of doom or fear. But just to continue to have a wake-up call that to the point of this Insider article, there's so much going on that we as individuals, as consumers, are not in control of because there are big corporations that are profiting from a lot of this messaging. And this article goes into depth on this. I've heard a lot of people share this and wanting to take the blame away from us because Part of the mental health challenge is not just the state of things and and climate anxiety that many people are experiencing, but many of us feel guilty. Have we done enough? And maybe that's purposeful, like making us feel bad while these companies are profiting off of us and kind of toying with our emotions and, and sending us mixed messages. And that feels upsetting, right? You know, even for me, when I bought my 
Tesla, the, the electric car, you know, I have this like big hope like, oh, electric cars, it's the way to go. And I had spent years researching electric cars. There's that movie, Who Killed the Electric Car? That was like my big introduction to them. And I remember hearing about them in, in high school or maybe even younger. I've been thinking about electric cars so much and thought about it and felt like it was a good decision. But the truth is that Tesla is a, a really successful company and other companies that make electric cars are also successful. There's a lot of financial incentive for them to convince us that that's a good choice. Now, I hope that the pros of an electric car outweigh the costs, but I am also not under this illusion that having an electric car is the perfect solution, right? So... It, it it's something I kind of think about, but I haven't spent a ton of time and energy on recently. And looking at an article like this, where it emphasizes things like carpooling, which certainly is another thing I've heard so much. It's take public transportation, ride with a friend, uh, take a Lyft or an Uber or something like that. Like we, we hear this messaging a lot, but how much of a difference does that really make? Uh, the article also talks about things like studying your thermostat, a place where you can be more energy efficient. There are websites where you could go on and calculate your carbon impact, but how much of that is actually making a big difference? Insider said that telling people to solve a crisis by changing their own habits is a tried and true corporate tactic pioneered by the tobacco and plastics industry. Now fossil fuel giants like Chevron, BP, and ExxonMobil have spent millions to convince the public that consumer choices and lifestyle changes will solve the problem. But at this point, Personal lifestyle changes will not turn the climate crisis around. A report from the International Energy Agency estimates that individual behavioral changes will only account for 4% of the necessary reductions. Kind of a chalk reading that. Wow. Then the article says, to have even a 50% chance of stopping the world's temperature from rising... 90% of coal and 60% of oil and gas reserves must stay in the ground. And this is probably why that oil slick is there. I mean, this is the interesting thing too, is that movie, when did that movie come out for Ngali? I'm going to guess 90, I want to say one. Let's see. 1992. I was close. Okay. Ferngully, the last rainforest. So sad. That was 30 years ago. And here we are still hearing bad things about oil, right? Like, I'm not saying that Ferngully should have changed <laughs> the path. Like, oh, Ferngully, now the world has figured out that we should be avoiding oil. But I'm sure that so much was going on with oil at that point that was a concern. And the creators hopefully made that movie to help kids understand what was at stake. And yet, how much has changed? Maybe things have just gotten much worse. In fact, actually, the insider in the next section talks about in 1971, TVs across the US blasted a heart-wrenching PSA. Oh, this is about the American Indian man. I remember this. And it, he was talking about pollution. The crying, crying Indian PSA. Wow, 1971. I remember seeing that 
as a kid too. I was born way after then, but so interesting, like how recycling and trash that was just like, so told us over and over and over again, like, Hey, you're the one that's polluting the environment. Like you have to start recycling. Right. But as this article mentions, making recycling work is a way to keep products in the marketplace because it improves the image of the material. By 2015, the quality of plastic produced each year had increased tenfold from 1971. Less than 10% of that material has ever been recycled. And this is the thing too. I mean, as mentioned, spending so much of my life recycling, I feel like I was in the minority for so long. Now I feel like recycling is so common. Seems like something a lot of people do, but I don't know for sure. Like I'm not watching all my friends and whether or not they recycle. And that blows my mind. Maybe it's just because I grew up recycling that I just figured everybody did it and everyone knew that it was helpful. But you just look around any street and you'll see trash around. You can look at a trash bin and how much is in there compared to how much is in the recycling. You can look at festivals. like That image comes across my head. Actually, I just saw a really disturbing one from after Coachella. There was a bulldozer literally plowing through a field of tents that people left behind. And I'm like, are you kidding me? These people just left their tents. Now, I didn't get full context. I kind of assumed that it was attendees that left those tents. Maybe maybe it was like the festival's tents that they left. Like I, I'm not quite sure. But a bulldozer was plowing through perfectly fine tents. And people in the comment section of this video were saying, well, that's a waste because there's plenty of people that don't have homes that would probably like a tent like that to be donated to them. And yet, well, let's just, it's easy to just bulldoze over them. Again, I didn't see the full context. I don't know if somehow they were still going to save the tent or whatever the plan was, but it's also the image I've seen in person. I went to the Bonnaroo Music Festival about 10 years ago and did a whole video on that for Eco Vegan Gal. And there's a, I think a clip made it into that video I made where I was standing in a field of trash. Now, it wasn't like up, you know, you could still see the grass, but there was trash everywhere. And I've seen images like that of Coachella year after year. And people just go to these festivals and just, throw stuff on the ground. Like I can't even imagine. So my point being that there are still plenty of people that don't even recycle. So no wonder the the percentages is so low. But to the point of this article, how much of a difference would it even make? Actually, plastic production is expected to double by 2040 and triple by 2050, according to the World Economic Forum. The challenge is that many companies, or actually maybe even most companies, and many politicians are still thinking in this personal responsibility frame and putting the emphasis on individual consumers. And so that really keeps the conversation focused on solutions that can't solve the problem. Wow. Then the article gets into electricity usage and how each of us are encouraged to heat and cool our homes efficiently, as I mentioned, and improve our gas mileage. We've been 
uh, marketed more and more to purchase electric cars as I have. I've noticed since I got my first electric car, which I think was in 2015, like it's becoming more and more common. And in the ads, even this year during the Super Bowl, there were a ton of electric car ads out and you just see that. But you got to imagine that companies are willing to spend the money to make a Super Bowl ad. They're clearly profiting off of people buying electric cars. And so how do they get powered? Through electricity. And yes, there are ways to use solar power to power your car, but it's not a perfect system. A lot of the places that I go to charge my car, I imagine, are powered by coal, right? So that's depressing, honestly. I have looked into some of the data that Tesla put out. And there were some things I remember, which I can't articulate off the top of my head, but there was some benefits to electric cars, at least in the terms of how they were making them, that seemed to maybe offset enough. But I got to be honest, I still feel feel ignorant about it. And I don't want to live in denial as if like a brand new car isn't contributing to this, right? It's tough. You know, the article gets into how Chevron, BP, ExxonMobil are all saying that they're trying to reduce emissions. They're investing money into energy transitions. They're they're kind of claiming a lot of stuff about even reducing plastic waste. BP actually says they don't want to comment on it, but it's pointing to a net zero goal and acquiring solar energy projects, which it seems like they're increasing. But how much of that is going to be done soon enough? That's one of the biggest questions here. Is it going to be done in time? And the article ends with a section about a million-dollar distraction and how we can feel so much responsibility and feel paralyzed that that actually prevents us from taking the kind of political action that we need to take. And I mean, I'm not somebody that gets that involved with politics. This is probably why my friend forwarded over this article about the postal off uh, service. It's like, thank goodness I have some friends that are more active than I am in the environmental world these days because I wouldn't even know about some of these things that are happening. And the Insider article ends with, how do we balance the personal responsibility with the larger structural and political questions at take? And what is the role of the fossil fuel industry? Riding our bikes is important and turning off the lights, not cranking the AC with the window open, but it pales in comparison to the political activity to change the rules about how our energy system is structured, who the actors are, who benefits, who pays. I mean, part of me feels depressed about this. Another part of me feels like, okay, it's not simple, but what if instead of spending all this time and money purchasing electric cars and recycling and buying recyclable products and kind of doing all that stuff, what if we turned our attention to politics? That's something I have never really done. 
I've kind of done the bare minimum of understanding politics, mostly around elections. It's like, okay, like, how do I decide who to vote for? What's going on with them? I pay more attention during the big government elections, but I have no idea what's going on in between those few years where I'm, I know I want to vote. I really feel extremely ignorant. And that to me is a great place for me to switch my focus. So yes, it's nice to know about recycling. But after reading that article, I'm not saying don't recycle. This book has been really helpful. There's actually a section I wanted to read here about what does recyclable mean, which is a term that we see on things and maybe gives us like a feel-good feeling to make us make purchasing decisions. But a lot of that term is used very broadly. And the author, Jenny, recommends using the guidance of the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC. And they have marketing guidelines, what can actually be recycled. And the easiest definition is accessibility. At least 60% of consumer access to recycling facilities sortability, sorted by existing infrastructure and end markets, sufficient market demand to convert material into another item. I mean, this is the thing like, I always felt so confused about terms like compostable and biodegradable, like they seem so promising. But I don't know if she gets into this in the book about what that really means. I think she actually did see a section in here about that. Because A lot of times, it's not actually composting. We think we're buying something that's better for the environment, but if you just toss it in the recycling bin, it's probably going to end up in the landfill. And so all this ignorance we have or lack of access to where things could really go is frustrating. She also has a page in here that says, wish cycling is not helpful. All the time and money and energy spent on collection and sorting and balling or bailing, bailing of recyclables are for nothing if no one wants to buy the bales of these recyclables. If there is no buyer, the recyclables are essentially garbage and go to either landfills or incinerators. When consumers put non-recyclable items into their recycling bins, these materials take a long and continuous and expensive route to the landfill. Avoid being part of the problem by not wish cycling. Wish cycling is when you're pretty sure that something is not recyclable, but you put it in your recycling bin anyways. I do that. I used to do that a lot more. After reading books like this, I've stopped. If you know an item can't be recycled, don't put it in your recycling bin. For example, tiny pieces of plastic, plastic film like carryout bags, polystyrene foam, multi-layer packaging like juice pouches and paper napkins. Better yet, whenever possible, avoid buying products that you know aren't recyclable. But this is the thing. I think that last statement comes back around to how hard it is to avoid buying products like that. That's where I have been recently. And I'm going to admit something that gives me a lot of guilt. Is that over time, I have just stopped paying attention. Not out of like a strong, conscious, rebellious way, but like 
it feels too much sometimes to go to the store and look at every piece of packaging. I used to be so passionate about buying things in bulk and buying fresh food without uh, labels or packaging on it. I felt very, very passionate and determined to do that. But here's the issue. Those items are not always accessible. When Even for me in Los Angeles, which is a very environmentally focused, passionate city, it still takes effort. A great example is a year or so ago, I wanted to start buying dish soap and uh, shampoo and conditioner in bulk. Or I wanted to buy like a dish soap bar, for example. I had heard about them got very excited about it. I went to buy this dish show bar from this company called like No Talks, I think. And when I saw the price tag, I was like, are you kidding me? First of all, just to find this bar, I had to go to so many stores. One of the, where I, I eventually found it, it was like 20 minutes away. It store didn't have parking. Like it was such a big obstacle for me to get there. I went out of my way, right? But I was determined. It was, I think, over $10 for this bar of soap that I'd never used before. So I'm like, how long is this going to last me? How well is this going to clean my dishes? And then in my head, I'm thinking, what average person is going to spend however much it was to buy this bar of soap? Not many people. A lot of people shop at dollar stores. That's where they get their dish soap. Or they go to the grocery store, the cheapest grocery store in their area, or they go to Costco. From my awareness, most people are not going to go out of their way to some inconvenient store. They Most people do not live in a city like Los Angeles that provides stuff like that, nor would they even want to buy it. Now, of course, you can get it online. And I'm sure there's other co- competitors out there. You could probably even make it yourself. But how many people have time and determination to do that? That's my point. It's not like even in Los Angeles where I live, the area of LA I'm in, so many walkable stores. None of those have this dish soap or another competitor. Most of the dish soap is the standard type that's in a plastic bottle. So when I'm feeling stressed, when I don't want to spend a lot of money, when I don't have a lot of time, what do you think I'm going to do? And I don't think I'm alone in this. This is not to excuse that behavior. It's to understand it and to talk about the access side of it. The average person I talk to directly or I see online through social media posts seems so stressed, burnt out, overwhelmed, stretched thin for time, feeling busy, not having a lot of money. And a lot of the things that are set up for us right now when it comes to being more environmentally friendly are not accessible to people in that state of mind. This is exactly why my focus has come to mental health, has come to inclusivity, has come to being anti-racist, has come to really focusing on what's going on in people's lives and where the barriers are for them. Because so much of environmentalism to me is centered around privilege. It's centered around people that have access to information, access to buy environmentally friendly thing, access to time it takes to go out of your way to get these things, access to an area. Even organic food 
is out of reach for people, not just from cost, but from location. The food desert, sometimes even just getting fresh food is out of reach for people. Maybe the best fresh food that they can get is nearby, but it's at a store that only carries poor quality fresh food and they've tried it and they don't like it. Not everybody has the privilege to live in Southern California where you can go to the farmer's market and maybe get a good deal on things. But even the farmer's market, I rarely go. There's one walking distance for me, okay? But honestly, from a mental health standpoint, I'm usually too overwhelmed to go to that market. I could, I mean, as silly as that sounds, I will be fully transparent. I have not been to that market in a long time. Granted, COVID played a big role. I did not feel comfortable going to a crowded market for a long time. And even today, honestly, but I would go if it were today. If I had the energy to go mentally, a lot of days, I would much rather get in my car and drive to the market and do a quick trip and not have to walk around and deal with the farmer's market environment. Maybe it's just an LA thing. (laughs) Going to the farmer's market in LA feels like an ordeal for me. Somebody else, maybe it'd be easy for them. My point being is that it's not always emotionally accessible for us to make these seemingly simple decisions. It's not always financially accessible, location accessible, on and on accessibility. And then coming back to the information, how is it that so much of what's going on in the environment and politics goes right over my head or I don't even notice it because I've got all these things going on in my life that spending the time to slow down and pay attention to new information can feel really challenging, even for someone like me who's been passionate about it. And having access to the internet is a privilege. Having access to friends that are passionate about these things is a privilege. I mean, I just see so many things through the lens of privilege now. And we have to look at the general population. I think when I started my career with Eco Vegan Gal, I was in a bubble. Eco Vegan Gal started because the high end grocery store in Los Angeles that I shopped at had a programming event that I went to and saw some bloggers talking about their environmental work. I decided to start Eco Vegan Gal because I had the time and energy to start it at the time. And then I had the privilege of working for someone who was really encouraging, who would let me spend some of my time at work studying these things. I had the privilege of extra time during my lunch breaks to work on Eco Vegan Gal. I had the privilege of making enough money at that time to go to the store and start investing in some of these environmental things, right? Like the beginning of Eco Vegan Gal was privilege. Going back to my roots, learning about recycling, I had the privilege of parents who encouraged that and set things up for me, right? Like I could trace back so much of that to privilege. And now that I'm seeing that, it makes more and more sense when you look at these statistics that if such a fraction of people are taking the time money, energy into this stuff, and it's still barely making a dent. There is a bigger problem at play here. 
even going back to my comments about cryptocurrency, which I touched upon, you know, just to summarize quickly, and I, when it's done, I will share with you the article I'm writing about this and the podcast episode on my other show, if you're curious to learn more about it. But essentially, cryptocurrency is set up with miners, basically. It's really a fascinating system, right? And they are run on these processors, these computers where they're sucking up a ton of energy. And they're also often in places that take a lot of coal power to power power the machines that they're using in order to create cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, for example. And it's very confusing. This is why I had to spend hours and hours researching this because I was like, what does this even mean? (laughs) Right? So they're using... People are using hardware to verify transactions, essentially, because that's how how this decentralized blockchain works. They have to... Currently, the way things are set up, they have to like verify a ton of things. They have to solve these mathematical equations. It's, it's fascinating and complex, confusing, but it's very energy intensive is the greatest way to say that, right? So it's emitting a lot of CO2. And also, there is all. I mean, I'm trying to go through my notes right here to like <laughs> summarize this really well. There's people all around the world that are incentivized to create this cryptocurrency. So it kind of ties into what I'm saying here is like, you might just think, oh, I'm buying a coin and it's just digital. Like you don't think twice about it. But when we actually look into what goes on behind the scenes to even just run the internet, like you listening to this podcast in a way is causing emissions. I don't have all the details on that. Maybe I should look that up too. But like just using your computer and the internet, your own personal electricity, the storage it takes to host a podcast, like there's all these figures built into this. But I think many of us are just kind of like used to that. We don't think twice about it because we're not taught to think a lot about it. Then we have these things like cryptocurrency, which are actually creating even more emissions that are irreversible, right? Like they, there are ways that I'm researching right now that could maybe offset some of this, but it's very complex. There are also some ways that are working on associating cryptocurrency with renewable energy sources, but that's very complex. There are people trying to design better systems that don't involve as many people or as many machineries. Like It's insane how much is going on. But one of the articles I read said, there is no way around this topic. Let's not find excuses or try to buy off our guilt but focus on reducing our impact now. And I think that's a good place to start in addition to better understanding things like politics. So I hope that this hasn't created more overwhelm or frustration or sadness in you. If it has, that's okay. While it wasn't my intention, I think that feeling those emotions is a natural result of discussing this. And perhaps even beneficial because when we feel those low emotions, it gives us an opportunity to think about 
way to work through this. Now, of course, you might just get low and not be able to get out of it. And I think it's important to examine ways in which you can pull yourself out. And sometimes that's only something that you can figure out, right? I mean, depression is a very complex thing, anxiety, stress. I don't think that we should avoid it though, right? I don't think we should avoid talking about this, thinking about this, because while we may not have as much power as individuals collectively, there are things that we can do. And if politics is one of the best things that we can do, I mean, especially for those that are in a democratic society, we do have a say. We can vote on things. We can sign petitions. We can attend meetings. We can call. We can encourage our friends just like my friend did earlier today. In fact, once I finish recording this, I'm going to go take a better look at what she sent me and better understand the situation with the post office, right? We can stop and think about the systems that we're part of, right? I mean, I just sent some mail yesterday. I don't actually send a ton of letters or receive them, but I do get packages and those are sometimes from the USPS. And I can think about how the workers are being treated and what's going on behind the scenes. How does my mail get delivered here? What packaging which I think a lot about is packaging, but not just recycling that or choosing companies that have a, a good system in place. Like, of course, a lot of that is more in our face, like reducing how much we buy online or if we are going to shop online, what companies we support. But a lot of us don't think about the delivery side of it. We don't always think about the workers involved and the people running the companies. All of that stuff can be very political too. We're often encouraged to vote with our dollars. And I do think that's a great place to start. But it is complicated. And this goes back into what I was saying is sometimes I just don't have the mental energy or bandwidth to do all that research. So that's where I think another opportunity comes in for us, which is to support each other. What if we started calling on one another to help get through this together, to hold each other accountable. This is where community becomes more and more important, as I've talked about recently, and my growing passion for community, places like Beyond Measure, my private community. Maybe if you want to join, we can get into an environmental-focused conversation. Actually, that's something in this moment I feel very motivated to do because every week on Beyond Measure, we have a group call centered around some sort of theme. And we have yet to do anything environmental related. So what if once a month, we all came together, held each other accountable, and talked about things that we were doing, even if it was something small. We talked about where we needed help and support. We asked each other questions. That's actually exactly what we do in Beyond Measure with things like our finances and our food choices and other things that contribute to our well-being. And it's funny how I never considered to like add in the environmental component, but I love that idea because maybe somebody in the group is already educated on something. So you don't have to do the research. They can answer your questions and help guide you towards the right way. This is where community comes into play, where we can spread out the work, divide and conquer, and know that we're in this together. That 
improves our mental well-being. That can reduce the stress and anxiety and depression. This is the power of community. In fact, community itself is key to our well-being. Knowing that we're supported, knowing that we're not alone, finding like-minded people. Because when we start to think about how depressing and sad and frustrating and we feel out of control, it can just cause us to spiral or cause us to numb out. And I've been there. I'm there often. Not I am blessed that lately I have not felt like dark and depressed, but I have certainly felt overwhelmed. Because there's a lot to be done. And I want you to know that you're not alone, that I'm here in this with you. We can talk through the hard stuff. We can rally together. We can learn together. You know, I feel like something like politics feels so daunting to me because I've never been that into it. I've never been that interested. But knowing how much of a difference it can make for me to better understand politics in terms of taking more action for the environment, that motivates me. So sometimes we just need to find the trigger. We just need to find the purpose behind something that we're not really interested in. And then once we learn, we can pass that knowledge on to others. And actually, I imagine just like other things that I do, that once you get into something, you'll start to meet incredible people that are into it as well. I mean, that's been a benefit of learning about cryptocurrency and Web3 is that I've met amazing people that are deeply passionate. So cryptocurrency is actually a great example of how I went from feeling incredibly ignorant and overwhelmed about something to learning enough to spark my passion. So if I can do that with something brand new, I can certainly add the politics of environmentalism into that. So hopefully I can get the ball rolling. I plan to add that into Beyond Measure. I would love to have you part of it, as I often say. And I just want you to know, regardless, that I'd love to work on this with you. I would love to feel more connected to you. That connection is such a driving force through these hard times. So I'm going to leave it at that. This is really just the tip of the iceberg, which is a little bit of a a pun given that icebergs are often a visual for the way the climate is headed. So I'd like to get back into the rhythm of talking about these things because I feel like I've put them on the back burner for a little too long. Thank you for listening. Thanks for holding space for me. Thanks for thinking this through with me, even though I can't hear you. I would like to hear you. So as I often say, please send me a direct message or an email. Join Beyond Measure if you want to connect in real time. Reach out to me, however makes sense. Social media is great too, publicly or privately. I'm at Whitlauritsen, W-H-I-T-L-A-U-R-I-T-S-E-N. Or of course, the podcast social media is Wellevator. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. You can go to wellevator.com 
to find the show notes for this episode, the resources I mentioned, as well as the video version when it comes out. You can see my my messy background, which is all set up for <laughs> an upcoming road trip, which by the time this episode comes out, I've already come home from it. But stay tuned because next week I intend to talk about the road trip and hopefully give more thought to the environmental issues along the way. Oftentimes seeing the state of the country that I live in helps me stay motivated to be mindful of all sorts of things, myself, other people, the planet. Being in nature really helps me. I love going to national parks and they're beautiful and sad at the same time because they're so preserved, but there's so many people that visit and there's often traffic or trash or people breaking the rules and causing damage to things. And it's kind of fascinating on a lot of different levels, but they are there to keep parts of this country well-maintained and flourishing the plants and the animals. And they are so refreshing for the most part. And I think that spending that time in nature, especially for someone like me who lives in a a big city, it's important to get out, (laughs) have some clean air, some clear skies, see some beautiful parts of this world to remember why I want to preserve it as much as possible. So I will likely return refreshed and even more passionate. So that's it for now. I hope that you found a way to feel uplifted and motivated too. I'd love to hear what's going on in your heart. So if you feel like writing me a message right now, please send it over. If not, I hope to hear from you soon. I'll be back with another episode this Friday with a special guest and wishing you all the very best in between now and then. Bye. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.